Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, Pew Bible, page 946. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The Lord is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The grass withers The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. God, we confess that you are source of all light. And by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Many of you will know the descriptive adjective Judeo-Christian, which, if you do not know that word, it means those religious, ethical, or cultural values or beliefs regarded as being common to both Judaism and Christianity. And whether you know this by label or not, we know their impact on our culture, values such as compassion for the needy, the importance of marriage, personal responsibility, the value of human life, and a number of other things we could say are derived from this tradition, this Judeo-Christian tradition within our country. Of course, the cynic in us may wonder where such values have gone, lamenting the cultural erosion of these values. But in actuality, they still exist in various ways in our country today. One doesn't have to be a student of the Bible to see how many of the laws and traditions within our own culture are derived from the teachings of the Old and New Testament scriptures. We might say that they have been woven into the fabric of our civilization. 
For example, historian Thomas Cahill observes, quote, The heart of the Torah is not obedience to regulations about such things as diet, what one may eat, whom, may, whom one may eat with, how one must prepare oneself beforehand, but the Hebrew word zedakah, that is justice, like God's justice, justice toward the downtrodden. And while many today may not know the idiom, the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you, everyone still wants to be treated fairly, to be treated in a fair way. Underlying the Judeo-Christian ethic is the belief that, newsflash, our Creator knows what is best for His creation, including his creatures. And what he reveals in his word is not merely good for the Jew or Christian, but it's good for everyone. For example, we're studying in Sunday school right now the Proverbs. I encourage you, if you're not a part of the study, come be a part of it. It has been such a rich and meaningful study. I encourage everyone to attend. But in thinking about what we're looking at in the Proverbs, we see that what was relevant thousands of years ago is relevant today in the Proverbs. We're told, for example, Proverbs 12, 28, In the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. Truth that leads to us understanding or truth to be heeded for a long and meaningful and full life. Or, one of my favorite, increasingly favorite, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by a righteous life. Telling us, evidentially, of the happy result of righteous living, having more to do with how we live our lives and less to do with the color of my hair. But it is not only the Proverbs where we find timeless wisdom, but we also find timeless wisdom in a place that some people might not suspect it, and that is in God's law. We see in God's commands and in keeping those commands a timeless wisdom. Historically, we see in Moses' admonition to Israel in their preparation to occupy the land, to go into the promised land, Moses taught them this. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So also, God said to Israel in Leviticus chapter 18, warning them of the snares that they would encounter from where they had come from and where they were going. God said to Israel, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. 
And think about this. He who miraculously redeemed Israel from Egyptian slavery describes the rules, if you will, of how they may continue to not be slaves, both morally as well as materially. Follow my rules, God says. My statutes. God says, walk in them. And if a person does them, God says, he shall live by them. And these are words of wisdom, and they're good rules for living. And they're good rules for living today, even for us, as it was for ancient Israel. But what happens, think about this, but what happens when God's rules for living are reinterpreted as rules for earning? A doing for determining righteous favor. What if living by grace becomes living to gain grace? What if righteousness by faith is forgotten as old, the old way, and righteousness by rules becomes the religion? What if the natural descendants of Abraham, who... Let us remember, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What if his natural descendants instead sought to establish their own righteousness? A religion not based on mercy and grace, but based on obey and live. Now some would have us believe that this was Israel's hope. For salvation, that prior to Christ's incarnation, prior to his death, prior to his resurrection, salvation came, they would argue, by keeping the law. Righteousness by faith was, well, that was just relegated to Abraham. But under a different dispensation, the Mosaic law was the means to eternal life. Like Mount Sinai, and upon which God gave his law, Salvation was by mountain climbing, a stairway to heaven. Obey and live became more than an ethic. It became a pathway to eternity. Now this way of thinking, let me be clear, is a complete contradiction to the New Testament testimony. God's covenant of grace did not leapfrog over Israel but runs from the fall to glory. From the woman's seed in Genesis 3 all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. And even when God gave His Ten Commandments to them, He didn't begin with the imperative of His divine will, but the indicative of His grace. We often think, for example, if we were to go to Exodus chapter 20, where we find one placement of the Ten Commandments, we immediately skip down to verse 3, which begins the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. But that's not the first verse of chapter 20. Actually, this is what precedes the first commandment. And God spoke all these words saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What we see, even when God gave Israel His law, that the imperative 
of God's command is preceded by the indicative of His grace. The problem, of course, is not with God's law. And many times people will want to pit God's perfect holy law against the grace of God as if they are enemies of one another. That is just simply not the case. The problem is not with God's law, which is holy and righteous and good. The problem is our sin within. If obedience to God's law were the way to salvation, who is obedient enough to satisfy what the law demands. Not you. Nor me either. Is God's standard of righteousness relative? Does God grade on a curve? The first century Jews apparently thought so. Which would explain, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10 verse 2, which would explain their zeal. Salvation by works is a graceless yet powerful motivator. Salvation by works, let me say it again, is a graceless yet incredibly powerful motivator. And so the Jews were zealous for God because they had to be zealous in order to earn what they thought they could achieve. What God gave as His law for living became their striving, though they were never arriving. But Paul says that in pursuing righteousness by keeping the law, they were actually being ignorant of the righteousness of God, working to keep the rule of righteousness rather than submitting to God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own way, they had forgotten what I call the old way. And seeking to establish their own way of righteousness, they had forgotten the old way. According to the old way, let's go all the way back to Genesis. By faith, Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving of his household, condemning the world, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The old way, I might add, long before Abraham showed up on the scene, was never obey and live. It was Believe and live. So after Abraham, all the way forward to Moses, onward to Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, the prophets, shall I go on? Even to those who were unnamed, of whom the world was not worthy, they were all saved by God's grace alone, Through faith alone. The old way. It's really not so old. It's also new. Because it's the only way. To forgiveness. It's the only way. To peace with God. It's the only way. To everlasting life. That is through faith. 
under the entirety, under the entirety of the covenant of grace, the righteousness, the rather the righteous shall live by faith. Which is why Paul, in our passage today, goes back to and quotes from Deuteronomy to Moses' warning of Israel. When they would enter the promised land, they must not think that upon arrival, they had earned it. They must not think that once they were in the pleasures of the land that flowed with milk and honey, that they would sit back and say, look what we've done. Well, this is a good earning for us. Just as we should not in Christ think that somehow we have contributed to our own salvation. God graciously redeemed Israel from Israel. Redeemed Israel from Egypt. He gave them graciously his law. And he placed them graciously in the land of his promise. Israel was, ancient Israel was the embodiment of God's favor on earth. There was no need to, as Paul puts it in our passage today, quoting from Deuteronomy. There was no need to ascend to the heavenlies. There was no need to ascend, descend to the underland. They weren't to go up into heaven or to descend into the, nether, the underland to try to find God. As if He were up there, away, away. As if He were down there, far from them. No, God did not rapture Israel to the heavenlies. He did not plunge them to Sheol. But instead, what did God do? He sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, Jew and Gentile alike as one. God gave Israel, God gave Israel His Word. In Verse 10, or rather verse 8 of our passage, Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy. He says, the word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. But to have God's word is not the same thing as believing it. It's just like today when someone says that they are a Christian because they grew up in a Christian home or they believe there's a God or so forth and so on. Well, that's a little different than what we understand a Christian is, isn't it? In the same way, Israel had God's word. No other country in the world could say that at that time. And in this sense, Israel was so close to God. And yet, so far away. They had the word of faith to believe and be saved. But they had turned it into a canon of rules and regulations. A system of meriting favor with God. Of course, this is no different from what we do when we take our Judeo-Christian ethic, our moral values, and allow them to supersede the gospel. Like the Jews, we can be so zealous and 
ignorant of the righteousness of God. Building our lives on the moral values, the rules and regulations, even defending them, finding that we have forgotten the essence of the gospel. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you forgotten the simplicity, the beautiful simplicity of the gospel substituting instead a modern version of legalism? Does what comes from your mouth and your actions, or worse, that social media stuff, does what spews out of you legalism rather than the gospel? Do you say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but all the world hears from you is nothing but a spewing forth of rules, regs? Hmm. Has our rage against the cultural erosion of Judeo-Christian values led us to become more like the Pharisees than the disciples? Fighting for righteousness' sake, even at the expense of Christ. I think in many ways we have. Forgetting that moral transformation was never a a political or social movement, but a supernatural work of the heart that begins with this simple truth. Hear me loud and clear. If you confess with your mouth, That Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Now in context, think about this. God told Israel, The Word is near you. In your mouth. But, Paul tells Israel, But you must confess with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord. God told Israel, the word is near you, in your heart. But, Paul reminds them, you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is confession and belief imperative? Because with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses. And then saved. To be justified as righteous before God does not require your best efforts nor your neighbors, just simply faith from the heart. To be saved from God's wrath and adopted as His own unto eternity doesn't require eloquent persuasion. No, just simple. Confession that Jesus is Lord. And this is good news. This is good news that the whole world should know. Though God first gave His revealed will to Israel, the word of faith was not exclusively for Israel. But it was for Jew and Gentile alike. We sit here today as living proof of that. As the prophet proclaimed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of race, regardless of language, 
regardless of nationality, no matter your family or even your past, Jesus is the same Lord of all who believe on Him. And through faith, we who were not once a people, we have now become God's people, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Spiritual paupers, Christ Jesus has bestowed His saving riches upon us. We are indeed rich in Christ. Through faith, true Israel is revealed in which Jew and Gentile together as one all call upon the name of the Lord and have become a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. We have become a people who have the privilege, the honor, indeed the pleasure of proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We who have then received the Lord's saving riches, we live by faith. Experience the joy of faith. We even do the work of faith. We most certainly hope through faith. Our faith not only guarantees eternal life, but it informs practically how we live at our lives today. We who have been justified as righteous through faith in Christ are called to live out our faith in Christ, righteously living for Christ's sake. We who know that our obedience does not make us righteous before God, we also know that because we are righteous before God through faith, we live out our faith in righteousness. Or put another way, we do not obey to live eternally, but in Christ we believe. And live obediently for His glory unto eternity. For this reason, let me be clear, we're thankful for our Judeo-Christian ethic that we enjoy in this country. I think oftentimes we take it for granted. We believe that morals do matter. Not just for the sake of the church, but for the sake of civilization at large. We must not fall, however, into the trap of believing or promoting the belief that God desires and blesses obedience to an ethic at the expense of, a, of the gospel. Pro-life includes more than the unborn, but eternal life too. The sanctity of marriage includes not only a covenant between one man and one woman, but also includes the gospel that marriage preaches through them. Conversion therapy should be outlawed, but conversion of the soul by faith in Christ is essential. Christians, culture wars are not the answer. The gospel is. God desires that all kinds of people be saved. Including those with whom I disagree and differ. <laughs> God desires that they come to 
a saving knowledge of the truth. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the gospel. Good news for you. Good news for me. Good news for our nation. Good news for the world. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for this good news. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we are not saved by our merit. For you know that there is none righteous, no, not one. We know as your word teaches us that all have sinned and fall oh so far short of your glory. And yet in your mercy and in your grace, you have saved us in Christ. And so we thank you for this, these true riches that you have bestowed upon us. And it is in Christ and through his spirit that we desire to live out his righteousness in us. Help us, we pray. May you be glorified in us. May the world see and hear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ through our testimony. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.